Who's Walking Into The Office is a podcast about the changing faces showing up at work, how they got there, what gets in the way, and what we can do as a business community to make things better. Up first, Lanex Talent. My name is Josuel Plasencia. I'm the co-founder and COO of Forefront. Our product, Carmen AI, is a career assistant for college students that guides them through the entire job search process. Before Forefront, I was on the other side. I was raised by a single mother in Queens, New York, growing up low income as a person of color and the first in my family to graduate high school. I faced tremendous challenges when interviewing and obtaining employment at some of America's top companies, from Accenture to Goldman Sachs. That's why work matters so much to me. The demographics of the workplace are changing rapidly, and today there are more diverse faces in the workplace than ever before in American history. That said, the challenges in the workplace that come with this change continue to persist. Today, we sit down with Daisy O.J. Dominguez, who for the last two decades has led senior talent roles at companies such as Moody's, Google, Walt Disney, and Viacom. Today, she's a workplace strategist helping companies with their talent initiatives. So let's get right to it, Daisy. Before you were in talent, you held various other roles. I'd love to learn more about how you transitioned into the world of people. You know, it's interesting. I even when I when I was on the business side, I was the one that was going to the Black MBA conference, the Asian MBA conference, the Latino MBA conference, you know, Hispanic. Um, and so for me, the the calling and the work of people and you know the heart driven nature of this work that was always part of who I was. I just happened to be, as I used to joke, impersonating an analyst. <laughs> you know, every single day I was um, I was really thankfully, and, I, and I'm really grateful because I wouldn't have done it. Um, I probably wouldn't have crafted my career the way that it came about, but it was it was um, the best way. Uh, to design a career in that I started as a credit risk analyst. So I had to learn the business. I had to understand the language, the values, how things were done, um, the intricacies of, of what, you know, of what the business practices were. Um, and because I was always driven to understand how that impacted people, I always connected the two. Um, but I never really considered, I actually had a manager, sorry, not a manager. I had a mentor once advised me not to go into human resources. Um, his, you know, he, he comes from the world of finance and, and I adore him, but he was very clear with me. He's like, if you want to be able to be influential in an organization, you want to be making money for the company. <laughs> you don't want to be spending it. Um, but for me, there was always that calling. There was always that, um, that curiosity. Um, and, and I went into HR a little bit kicking and screaming. Um, and I say that because I had built-in biases, like many of us have, that HR is the function most loved to be hated, you know? Like, you only go to HR when you're in trouble. <laughs> it's like, HR doesn't come to you, like, for good things. Um, and um, and so so I had these biases in me, and this is, you know, this is the only job I've ever had. Um, so I, I was hesitant about going to HR, and I, I'm not proud of saying that when I went into the HR function, I didn't really quite value my colleagues as, as well as I should have. Um, but I very quickly learned um, what a difficult job it is um, and, and, and how full of possibilities it is. Um, and so it was a hard transition, 
Um, but it was it was a calling for me of um, of driving the change that I've always wanted to of um, of trying to reduce those gaps of all of the marginalized talent of color that I would see around me um, that would be you know would be let go of, of Moody's because they were and, and they would leave miserable and then they would go to another organization and things were wonderful and I was like well then it's not the person, it's the culture, it's the organization. Um, you know, it's like, like we're blaming the person because that's what organizations do. You know, we're like, well, you know, this person doesn't work, so we've got to let go of them. Um, but they don't hold up a mirror to realize, it was like, no, it's your practices, it's your policies, it's your language. That's what's keeping them from being successful and you as an organization because you're missing out on their skills and their talent. Thank you for sharing that, Daisy. Would you say there was a moment where this all came to you? Yeah, there were moments. And it was, uh, it was when I was at Moody's. It was in the early part of my career. It was, um, it was having joined in this, um, in this cohort of you know, really talented, uh, all of us staff of color, all of us anal- anal- you know, we were all analysts. Um, and then seeing not just the, those that were being picked apart and you know, sort of marginalized and sidelined, um, but also our own conversations because right? Jose, this is what happens in organizations. You know, I gravitated towards my black and brown colleagues when I worked at Moody's because it was easier, because it was safer, because we could sit with each other and share the microaggressions of the day. You know, I could, I could sit down in front of my, you know, my African-American colleague and go, okay, I was confused for the only other Latina in the department. Again, um, I was told again, that I speak very articulately or that's so amazing that you speak English so well, um, where all I wanted to say to someone was, oh, that's amazing. You speak English so well, too, <laughs> you know, but but because you're still, you know, you don't know what even how strong the ground you stand on is in these organizations. You're constantly looking over your shoulder as to like, is what what was said to me nice, kind, um, harmful, uh, you know, a, you know, some uh, some, some, uh, semblance of what's going to come down the road. Um, and so for me, it was, it was a series of just experiencing that. And then hearing the same stories being shared to me by my African-American friends, by my Asian friends, by my female friends, by my friends with disabilities, by my LGBTQ friends. So hearing all of these stories to me became sort of that groundswell of there's something wrong here. And it's not, the individuals. Yes, you know, sometimes it is you. <laughs> you know, so I, I tell folks sometimes, hey, it's not always the org. You know, there are things that we can all do. Um, but many, many times is the culture that you're in is having to navigate workplaces that weren't designed with us in mind. And, you know, and, and, that, and that still move along even as we're populating these organizations with more diversity, because that's what everybody wants. Bring in more diversity but they're not willing to shift their processes and practices that were never created to absorb that diversity and to truly help that diversity thrive. Um, so though it, it was a, it was a, um, a series of events and, uh, and experiences, both personal and, um, and through others that, that eventually, I can't tell you there was one moment where I said, aha, <laughs> this is, it was, it was all of these moments and those, you know, those, uh, as they, as they, as they say about microaggression, those, you know, those tiny paper cuts that, um, that eventually form into just one big wound. Thank you, Daisy. I'm curious, you've been doing this work for many years. 
What have you seen has changed as regards to diversity and inclusion, specifically in recruiting Latino talent? Um, we've we've moved from having to make. I, I we still have to uh, make the business case, but I think in most organizations we moved from having to make the business case of why we need to hire diverse talent um, to getting organizations to build a little bit more awareness about. Um, the fact that our traditional processes haven't worked. And so a lot of companies have um, embraced the idea of disrupting unconscious bias in their processes. And, and, you, and there's no better example of that than the, you know, the proliferation of HR tech tools <laughs> to unbiased recruiting from sourcing to selection processes. So you know, we, we've seen that advancement and that, um, that advancement, advancement from a technology perspective. Um, from a Latino perspective, particularly, I think that we still have a long ways to go. Um, but we we do, the, depending on the industry and the sector um, that they're in, you have organizations that are far more apt to tap into Latino talent in, in ways that are more creative and non-traditional. And I was just speaking to someone today from Verizon about an amazing partnership that they have with UPR, the University of Puerto Rico, um, which other companies do. But you know that you know the fact that they're um, you know, and maybe our president doesn't know this, but you know, it is an American. Uh, you know, um, it's 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 uh, it, there's they're also American, but the the fact that they are going to other countries and um, and Hispanic serving institutions as um, as sources of talent. You know, when I worked at Google the big push was on HBCUs because again, that was a huge gap from a black software engineering perspective. Um, but HSIs weren't part of that strategy originally. And it was a huge push from uh, our teams on the staffing teams, uh, you know, fr- quite frankly, the Latino uh, employee resource group, Ola, pushing for that. It was, it was the years that I was there. And even then it didn't happen. It happened much more recently where now they're really, um, going after that talent and looking at those untapped sources of talent in a more creative way. Um, and by untapped sources of talent, I want to be clear that are predominantly Latino and Hispanic. Um, and I think that that's, that's a, it's very recent. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, people will tell you that they've been doing it for a long time, but, but with the level of discipline, uh, and attention, it's really more recent and I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that it will, it will yield, Higher results from uh, you know for hiring practices in a lot of organizations, but frankly, I think that it's much easier to focus on the recruitment piece of it than to focus on how do we make sure that we then retain that talent and grow them and ensure that they become part of the you know that we're grooming them for the you know the next round of leaders for the organizations that we're in. Thank you, Daisy. Shifting gears just a little bit, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Latino identity. Because the Latino identity and the Latinx identity is one that is very diverse. It has many cultures within one culture. So I'm curious to get your thoughts there. Because that diversity at times can almost be seen as a clutch to unity, right? But other times it's what makes Latino great. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. Um, listen, the Latino identity is complex, it is. <laughs> um, and, and I think that it's been, it's been part of the, the reason why it's been harder to just pigeonhole us and put us in a box and say, okay, this, you know, this is, this is who we, this is who we hire. One clear example of that is in organizations where 
um, the Latino numbers from a compositional diversity perspective may be really high. And then when you dig a little more deeply into it, um, the hires are more international and domestic. Um, and so that creates, as you can imagine, um, for this, those, those international students that are able to make it, there's actually some class barriers or some, um, there's some, there's racial differences, you know, and colorism is an issue in our culture in our community as well. Um, and, and when it, when it comes to building a, um, more consistent and holistic and, um, connected group of folks, because, you know, we all come from so many different backgrounds. It's, you know, like I said, when I moved to the U S I had never been Hispanic and I was 16 at that point. Imagine what it's like for a 26 year old, a 35 year old moving to the U S and all of a sudden they're like, Oh wait, I'm Hispanic now. And because I joined this company, I have to I have to join this movement uh, that's based on this experience of being othered and whatnot. And like, I haven't had that experience. I don't know what that's like, um, you know? And so, so the, that, that, and that's all real. Um, and my response to that, because I, you know, I, I, at Google, I was the um, executive champion for the Latino ERG. I've, I've always done this work. My example for all of them is you're right. This hasn't been your direct lived experience. And yet you are, when you when you come here to the U.S., this is the community that you know whether you like it or not that you are part of, and that you have an opportunity to help uplift and amplify. And so you know you don't have to; it's not a life sentence. <laughs> but but this is this is something that is important to you. And then by the same token, the advice and guidance for companies that are trying to figure all this out because they're like, oh, but you all of you haven't figured it out your way. It's yeah, and. It, I don't care if you're hiring, you know, if, if someone's from Mississippi or California or New York or, you know, Puerto Rico or Mexico, it's like, you know, fundamentally your job is to create workplaces that work for everyone. And, and that means that you have to create spaces where Latinos, like, you know, the, the stat that, you know, that everybody quotes because it's the only stat, one of the few stats that we have about Latinos in the workplace, but that 76% of us don't feel that we need to cover and undermine who we are in the workplace because the leadership profiles in most organizations don't fit the communal leadership styles that, you know, that we've been raised in. Um, and by the way, not every Latino has a communal leadership style either, but not every white person, uh, you know, has a hierarchical leadership style and not every African-American, you know, like it's, it's creating openness and space for what that variety of lived experiences are while honoring the shared experiences that still help us all feel a sense of belonging. And that complexity is, you know, it's real. And, and it's frankly, it's a skill set. And it's frankly something that we just need to be able to talk about. And I think that we just don't build the leadership muscles to be able to have these frank conversations and to be able to ask these questions because we're so worried about how someone's going to perceive us or, you know, are we not going to seem woke? Are we not going to seem well-educated? Are we not going to seem caring? Um, and we spend so much time and energy worrying about that that we actually just don't do the work of saying, "Hey, Josue, I don't understand your experience, but you know, I'd love to learn more." I love that. I really love that. And that goes to a point that I'm really passionate about, which is, as a community, we can ask each other those deeper questions about our backgrounds. We can really uncover a lot. For example, I'm Dominican from New York, right? There's a term for that, Dominican York. What does that experience entail compared, say, to someone who was born and raised in Costa Rica and then came here in their mid-20s? So when we ask each other those questions, we get to understand our experiences better. And in that process, 
embrace them and actually become more connected as one. So it's very powerful what you're sharing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and there's, and there's tremendous pride in that. You know, I can, I can feel, you know, everyone's talking about the J-Lo and Shakira um, show and you can have, you know, your positive or your negative, uh, you know, commentary on it um, from the Super Bowl. But, you know, like I, I can feel just as much pride in seeing, you know, a Puerto Rican flag on a screen as I can see, you know, in Shakira in, you know, rejoicing over her Colombian roots. Like that, that is because, because that is part of the broader diaspora and that is part of who we are and that's the music that's in our blood and, you know, and, and we can enjoy that. And, you know, and I think that, um, but it, but it, but it does add to our complexity. And I think it's, it's what worries some people. And I actually, I use, you know, you use the terms Latinx, Hispanic and Latino. I use them interchangeably all the time and I do it purposely. Um, and, you know, and recently I was called out by a colleague of mine on LinkedIn saying, we just need to use one. And he's Latino. Um, we need to use one. We should, should use Latino because we don't want to confuse other people. You know, my response was like, it's perfectly fine if that's what you want to use. But the train has left the station on the fact that there's a significant number of our community that's using Latinx. And, and I want them to feel seen and I want them to feel valued. And fundamentally, I don't care what you call me as long as it's going to be with a sense of respect and value, um, you know, and upholding my dignity. And so I'm, I'm cool using all three names. Um, and some of my friends may, may roll their eyes and be like, you know, um, and, you know, but then, but for every eye that's rolled, I think there's a virtual nod of someone going like, yeah, thank you. You see me. And that's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's connected to the pursuit of understanding, right? To be seen and to be heard is also to be understood. And when it comes to the conversations of, hey, I use the word Latinx or I use the word Latino, I see a lot of times there is a generational divide, younger people going towards the word Latinx a bit more, for example. And that right there is a very important conversation to have, which is the generational conversation. Uh, And those are the things that happen when you dig deeper and you uncover layers and layers that that is very powerful. Awesome. So so staying on the topic of the next generation and the younger generation of Latinx and Latino talent, I'm curious to get your thoughts about what companies should be doing to better recruit Latinx talent. I think that we need to find them where they're at. Um, I think that um, we need to recognize that, yes, there are Hispanic serving institutions that we should be tapping and we should be tapping every other organization. Um, it needs to be part of um, outreach efforts. It needs to be part of you know, our language choices and, and how we as organizations promote our job descriptions and our job opportunities. It needs to be part of how we conduct outreach and how we make sure that people see themselves in these organizations where, you know, the, the biggest fear and anxiety that someone may have who may not come from a, a family of, um, of other professionals is like, you know, am, am I going to, you know, am I going to be welcomed? Am I going to be valued? Am I going to be respected? And so helping answer, you know, just like we prepare for presentations in advance and think of every question that someone's going to ask us and socialize, you know, our thoughts and our ideas before, like that's how we should be preparing our recruiting strategies. And we should be thinking about what are the questions and concerns that the talent that we want to tap into may have and and 
and recognize that they're not all going to be the same and that not every Latino that we recruit is going to be poor and not every Latino that we recruit is going to be an immigrant and not every Latino that we recruit is, you know, is going to be a first generation. Um, but many will. And so how do you, how do you recruit across that, you know, universality, um, but also with, you know, with intention and specificity and, and, and we can, and that can be done. So I think that that's, 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 that's number one. And, you know, but it is also not the, the, you know, the standalone work that needs to be done. It has to be integrated into overall strategies for an organization. It has to be integrated into overall, um, performance management and development and onboarding. And it just has to be something that is valued more than just during Hispanic Heritage Month. It's got to be something that has to be integrated throughout the whole year. Absolutely. Every day, 24-7. Now going to the other side and moving from the business leaders to the young people starting their careers, what is your advice to them? I think the world is the world is ready for you. Uh, you know, just find find the work that inspires you, that that you know that that gives you passion, um, and um, and work hard, uh, build relationships, um, deliver on your word, um, take care of you and of your community, and you know, and and you know, I think above all, recognize that that you belong um, and that. That all of these organizations, whichever one, whichever one is the one that you choose, um, you belong to be you. You you deserve to be there, and you belong there. Um, and it is you know it is up to you to contribute and to deliver. Um, and you don't have to prove anything to anyone other than you know maybe maybe your manager to make sure that <laughs> that you're delivering on whatever your specific uh, outcomes are for the team. But this is this is. This is an amazing community of talented people. We bring such rich, rich magic with us to all of our work. Um, we bring uh, a sense of community, uh, of, of humanity, um, of hard work. Um, that is really what, um, when you have to define an ideal employee, um, those are the characteristics that, you know, when, when, whenever I had to de define an ideal employee for hiring, you know, you want someone that is, you know, culturally adept. You want someone that is agile. You want someone that is flexible. You want someone that is hardworking. You want someone that can engage with broad groups of people. You want someone that's going to be hungry. All of those things, whenever I, I, I say them, I always think, I was like, that's what Latinos are. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is what we have in spades. So walk into those rooms knowing that you deserve to be there. Thank you, Daisy. I really enjoyed our time today. Any final thoughts? Uh, I am I am excited to see where the Latinx community uh, goes. I think that this is, um, you know, we're, the, we're one of the fastest growing uh, demographic groups in this country. Um, we uh, we have so much we have so much to offer, um, and and just you know and and deserve and deserve workplaces where we can you know apply all of our skill sets and talents. So uh, I'm excited to see uh, what the world's going to look like when those opportunities are given freely to everyone, including Latinx talent. Thanks for being part of creating that world. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Hope this is helpful. Have a good weekend. <laughs>